Welcome to a fresh perspective on business technology. This is Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise, presented by Rising, a Wipro company. You'll hear from business and technology innovators who know how to use the latest technologies and business strategies to transform industries, and importantly, how these technologies and strategies can be shaped to your business needs in your way. Help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. That's me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode number two of Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. So happy and proud to be here. We have another very interesting show for you. This is Thought Leadership with a Smile. I think I'm allowed to say that. And a shout out to two ladies behind the scenes who work so hard to bring these shows to life. Sherry Meyer and Hannah Hale, thank you very much. Uh, Before I have my guests introduce themselves, I want to read a little poem. Those of you who know me from my other shows know that I've been asking ChatGPT, yes, that one, the LLM, the AI thing, you know that, the free one, to take my text intros from my shows and to turn them into poetry. I didn't say great level poetry, I just said poetry. It's interesting and fun what they did with this one. So I'm gonna read this, and when I call your name to my guests, and we have Dave Maloney, Martin Stanzig, and Jennifer McClure, there you are, just just wave hello when I call your name, and then we'll have you do your bio. So here we go, everybody, listen up. In our enterprise expanse, circuits gleam and codes entwine. Our revolution's brewing, future bright by design. In this era of technology, innovation asserts its right. IT and business dance, their boundaries taking flight. Gone, Martin likes it so far. Gone are the days of mystic tongues, of language syntax arcane. Now low-code, no-code method dawns, a shift that marks a gain. No more just a realm for techies, it's a world for all to share. But a new question hangs in the balance, beyond a whisper in the air. When functional teams grasp the reins, will results be great? Will they last? What future will it all unfold as the enterprise destiny is cast? On today's live streaming platform, host Bonnie D, that's me, seeks the wisdom of these four. Wave when I call your name. Martin Stanzig, Dave Maloney, Jennifer McClure, to help us write the score. Tune in closely, listeners and viewers, as the case will strive to make. Here's the title of the show today. From Users to Creators, the Employee-Led Tech Transformation. What path will your company take? Our roundtable thought leaders share the expertise they know. Welcome to the rising evolution, the future-proofed enterprise. Now, on with the show. What'd you think? Do you like it? Excellent. Martin, what'd you think? Jennifer? Pretty good. I'll give Pretty- you a B+. Plus. I'll go for B plus. Well, it it was a C until I intervened. Dave Maloney, what'd you think? It rhymed. I liked it. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll move that up to an A minus. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. We are talking today about from users to creators, the employee led tech transformation. And that's the focus of our expertise today. So let's go around the table, get a three minute bio. What? Who are you? What do you do? What led you to this point in your career? And what's your passion for the topic? Martin Stanzig, it's been a couple of years since we've spoken. So happy to see you again. I'm putting you on speaker view. Go ahead. Excellent. Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, my name is Martin Stanzig. I have a uh, double title these days. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Rising, but also uh, the Global Head for Business Technology Platform at Wipro and Rising. So what am I doing in those roles? I'm essentially taking the latest and greatest technologies and applying them to customer business problems and, and really driving measurable benefits. So that means we're not just you know applying technology for the for the fun of it, 
but we're really solving real life business problems and, and making people more efficient. Um, we usually quote the sort of the SpaceX numbers. So these days, especially with the technologies, we firmly believe that we cannot just get you the, the typical two to 3% improvements in a business case, but we're probably looking at 20 to 25% across the board that we can can get you with new technologies if you're willing to, to buy in. So what did get me to this point and, and interested in the low code, no code piece? Mm -hmm. um, fairly simple. Uh, I have developers. I also work with a lot of business users. So I, I see the both sides of the coin um, of the pro code discussion as well as the low code discussion and then all the way in between. So yeah, exciting topic and looking forward to discussing it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Dave Maloney, you're up next. Dave, you there? Here we go. Dave, I'm, I'm here. you on speaker view. Would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself to everybody and what's your passion for our topic? Welcome. Great. Thank you. Yeah, my name is Dave Maloney and um, I'm currently the vice president for BTP or business technology platform everywhere at SAP. It's actually my 20th year at SAP and I have a very simple directive. Um, it's my role to help customers get more value out of their SAP investment, specifically through the leverage of our business technology platform. And it's not just limited to their SAP investment, but also a broader technology investment, making sure we play nice in the sandbox with um, a lot of our partners out there, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and other partners in our ecosystem. Um, I got to this point in my career, I, I you know, started my, my, uh, my career as a civil engineer, working on US embassies, and then over to hazardous waste sites, but I got to software as fast as I could. I originally started working with geographic information systems. And when I joined SAP, I was involved in portfolio management as part of our product lifecycle management team, but more and more just got more fascinated and, and, and loved the technology and the tech. So I moved more and more over into the underlying technology, um, a lot with analytics database. And when we launched the business technology platform about 11 years ago, that was really an area I wanted to focus on. So I've been here since about day one of our business technology platform. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm focused on really trying to drive adoption and success of SAP deployments through the business technology platform. What's your passion for low code, no code? I won't ask you good, bad, or anything in between. Just give me a one sentence of why you're excited to be here today, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I've seen an incredible evolution. I think more and more, and I'll talk more about this going forward, enabling business users to get more from IT, you know, low code, no code, I think is really the path to that. IT is over here with the technology, a lot of times, a lot of work, a lot of effort, don't know the business so well. And it's the same thing on the business side where they know the business very well, have a very difficult time interpreting and leveraging the tech. Low code, no code really brings those two together. And um, I, I've seen it evolve you know, the past 10 years and uh, it's come a long way and uh, it's an exciting future for low code, no code. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you here. Jennifer McClure, you're up next. Tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for our topic. Welcome, Jennifer. You. Well, I am Jennifer McClure, and I have about 20 plus years of experience as an HR leader and executive in the corporate world. Then I took a little detour into executive search, helping companies bring leaders into their organizations. And for the last 14 years or so, I've had my own business where I'm a professional speaker and trainer talking about the future of work and helping leaders to thrive in the future of work and unleash the potential of their people. Um, I also am the chief excitement officer of something called Disrupt HR. You may have heard about it, depending on where you are in the world. We have 154 licensed communities in 34 countries where people get up and give five-minute talks about an idea related to the workplace, technology, people, talent, the future of work. Uh, and we have over 7,000 videos out there online of people who've shared their ideas. 
So my passion for this topic is that I believe that the best ideas do come from your people. And I believe that this opportunity for them to participate low code, no code environments allows those ideas to be brought to the table. And that is the future of work. Thank you very much. That wrapped it up very nicely in a bow. Thank you, Jennifer. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my three guests to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric that they will interpret to our topic today. The quotes have nothing to do with code, nothing to do with technology, not, I don't think, nothing to do with computers. And let's see how cleverly they relate them. So Martin Stanzig has sent us a quote uh, very, very interesting from Martin Seamus Marty, another Martin, Marty McFly, of course, played by Michael J. Fox. The movie is a classic Back to the Future 1985, an American sci-fi comedy franchise. There were a lot of these movies. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this, Martin, but in 2019, Marty McFly was selected by Empire Magazine as the 12th greatest movie character of all time. Did you know that? Didn't know that. Well, uh, now you do. We now probably you voted do. for him, though, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Who knows? So here is the quote. Wait a minute, Doc. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? I don't do a good Marty McFly. Rescue me, Martin. What does this have to do with our topic? Well, I, I thought a little bit about it. And the time machine here is essentially the the, the deep coding of, of what we're doing and what we've done for years. Uh, so the DeLorean in this analogy would be your local no-code tool. Um, I firmly believe that the really, really good low-code, no-code tools that we're finding on the market these days are not just sort of um, a thing that gets you to the 80% um, solution, but really gets you to 80% and then allows you to take the last 20% and complement it with really the, the pro-code uh, functionality that, that you, know, you can't do as a business user or just as a as a visual designer and that's sort of the the analogy i wanted to bring in here so take the best of both worlds you know the delorean chassis uh with uh with the time machine content um if we can combine that in the best possible way you know i think we're we're getting the best benefits for all of them um and that's sort of what i'm excited about you know not just making it look good um and having sort of what we i mean 20 years ago we called it what you see is what you get and we tried this whole thing before um, but we have also come full circle to say, hey, um, the real efficiencies is still when you when you sort of code in a pro code fashion. I believe that there's somewhere in the middle, um, but that's sort of the why I picked that quote. Love the quote. Always happy to hear. I haven't had that quote. Usually it's the quote from Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd. That where he says, uh, where we're going, we won't need roads. Remember <laughs> that one? Yes, that's the quote usually people pick from that movie. So I was happy to have a different one, a fresh one. Thank you very much. Dave Maloney, I'm looking at your quote. This is an interesting one. I haven't seen this one. Ted Lasso played by, and the show was written by Jason Sudeikis, a comedian actor who has spent a lot of time on Saturday Night Live. It's an American sports comedy drama streaming TV series. It appeared on Apple TV Plus on August 14, 2020. And sadly, for those of us who love Ted Lasso, they only wrote an arc of three seasons. And it's too bad because it really was welcome in a lot of living rooms, wherever your TV is. Uh, let's see, so follows American college football coach Ted Lasso, who was hired 
to coach an English soccer team in an attempt by its owner to get the team to fail, despite her ex-husband, ah, uh, who is a cad, Lasso tries to win over the skeptical English, right, they all always, with his folksy, optimistic demeanor while dealing with his inexperience in soccer. It was nominated for 20 Primetime Emmy Awards, the most nominated freshman comedy in the history of the Emmys, and a lot of awards were won. So here is the quote Davis selected from the Ted Lasso character. You could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. That's a beautiful quote, Dave. Go ahead, talk to us. Yeah, when I, when I thought about what we're talking about today with low code, no code, I come across this all the time. I work across all, all of my organizations. So I'm working with supply chain professionals, finance professionals, procurement professionals, and HR professionals. And I'm always blown away by how much I don't know about that topic. And I come in with the tech and I quickly try to understand what's going on to help and add value. And it's the same thing from the other side. I'm always amazed when I talk with people about stuff and they feed back to what they heard, you know, to realize, wow, there's a ton of information going on here that's brand new to them. And I've really got to make it digestible. So I always feel that, you know, I, I know so little about uh, so little about so little, so, so many things, but, um, you know, just working hard and being humble so I um, can help and not just try to, you know, know everything because uh, that's impossible. Thank you. And they say the smartest people in the room know whom to ask the right questions, to whom to ask the right questions. You don't have to have the answers. You need to know who has the answers. So there you go. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Appreciate the quote. And let's go to the quote Jennifer McClure has selected. This is from another classic movie, The Shawshank Redemption, 1994 American drama film. Andy Dufresne is the character played by Tim Robbins. Let me see if I can give a little. It was based on the 1982 Stephen King novella, called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, the story of the banker, Andy Dufresne, who's sentenced to life in Shawshank State Penitentiary for the murders supposedly of his wife and her lover, but he claims innocence. Over two decades, he befriends a fellow prisoner, contraband smuggler, Ellis Red Redding, played by the wonderful Morgan Freeman, and becomes instrumental in a, uh-oh, money laundering operation led by the prison guard, warden guard, yes, and a whole bunch of other people, great actors, great, it's a classic. I never mind watching it again. So here's the quote Jennifer has selected. Of the many good ones you could have, this is great. Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Oh, Jennifer, wax poetic and tell us how this relates to our topic, please. Go ahead. Sure. Well, fun fact, I actually live about an hour and a half from the prison where Shawshank Redemption was filmed. Wow. So those of you that have ever been there in Ohio, you've you've been there. I've driven by it. But um, I, I chose that quote because I am focused on the people side of the business, as I mentioned earlier, often working with HR leaders and people leaders. And particularly when it comes to technology, a lot of their strategy often has revolved around hope. I hope we can figure this out. I hope IT helps us know where direction we need to go. And to quote somebody else famous, which if you look on the internet, it's either Ronald Reagan, Winston Churchill, Mark Twain, Abraham Lincoln said, hope is not a strategy. I just remember Anderson Cooper saying that during Hurricane <laughs> Katrina. Um, and that's how I think a lot of people leaders tend to approach technology with, well, we hope that it all works out. And I think we've all seen that we need to pay more attention to how technology can enable our business, how it can enable our people to communicate and be more productive and work across boundaries. So I don't want them to hope anymore. I want them to believe that hope is a good thing, but to create a strategy. Very, very interesting. I have to give a disclaimer to the three of you. I don't know if you know this. Martin may remember me telling him this years ago, but I'm considered an early woman in tech because I was a coder. 
I was coding in COBOL on key punch cards, the 80-column Hollerith cards that we carried around in a box, 2,000 at a time, on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 machine, which was before Honeywell bought Xerox and turned it into Honeyox. And then I graduated to coding in PL1, which was probably today a rather obscure language, on an IBM 4341. And at that point, we had the privilege of having monitors and keyboards to enter our text, and we didn't have to carry around the cards. But I've still got my COBOL handbook, which has a silver cover on it. I still have <clears throat> green bar paper, and I could debug a core dump as with the best of them, a stack of green bar paper, and you read through all the EBCDIC code, and you knew where did the program abet. Well, mine never abended, of course. That's a note code for aborted. But anyway, it was a blast writing code. And so this is, listening to the three of you talk about this, this is a new world, right, Martin? It's a brave new world where you don't have to have years of training like somebody like me, like I had to have to be able to sit down and write two to 3,000 lines of code, put it through a compiler, put the cards into the machine, hope they didn't get tangled up, <laughs> load the disk pack into the drive standing on a step stool, and hope that everything ran. And it was it was a different era. So this is very, very intriguing. And I know there are a lot of people from, I won't say my era, but like me who have been real coders. And so this is very, very intriguing. So thank you all for your quotes. Appreciate it. We can only hope, right, Jennifer? So, Martin, did you have one, something you want to say before we go on? No, no just no? to say that you would be surprised how similar the market still is. I mean, we have the both extremes, but, um, you know, SAP's programming language sometimes is eerily familiar when you are coming from a COBOL background. So you would be surprised as in um, how applicable it still all is. So on the one hand, we have changed dramatically. On the other hand... It's still the Not same so much. 20, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> well, if, if I if I get out, if I'm out of a job as a radio producer and host, maybe <laughs> I'll go back to coding COBOL. And <laughs> Martin would hire me. I know you would. Don't say a word, please. Okay, let's go to the part of the show where my three guests have graciously and generously sent me four statements, each discussion statements for our real roundtable part of the show. So I've picked statement one from Martin. I'm going to read it. And then what I would like is I will have... David, who's sitting, Dave is sitting next to Martin on my list here. I'll say to Dave, agree or disagree. You don't have to be polite, Dave. Martin's in a really good place today. I can see he's smiling. And then we'll go to Jennifer McClure and say, Jennifer, agree or disagree with Dave or with Martin and or Dave. So we want to get a robust commentary and bring it to whatever level you want in terms of how you feel about the statement that Martin unpacked. So here we go. Martin said the following. Listen up. This is interesting. And we want it provocative, Martin, and you're delivering here. The market for low code, no code is overstated. Yes, there are people out there that want to be able to develop their own applications, but not every business user is interested in building their own app. The great news, even pro-code developers love low-code, no-code tools, if built correctly to reduce their effort. That's interesting. Martin, unpack it. Let's hear where you go with it. Yeah, I think two or three years ago, uh, when this first came up, you know, especially the, the coding community looked at it and said, well, you know, been here before. Uh, we firmly believe that business users have an interest, but I also don't think that it's every business user. So if I take my own organization and I look at, at sort of the business community, the operational leaders that are coming with a deep technology background, you know, I could tell you that it's not 90% of them that want to sort of build their own logic, 
but it's probably sort of 5%. So do I believe that there's a market? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that is correct. I just don't know whether or not the market is as big as it was um, stated, you know, a couple of years back when we sort of started to, to get into this. And I also don't know whether or not local no-code tools in itself without sort of um, other parameters are solving the the development challenges that we have with not having enough senior developers. I always believe that we get get a lot of good junior developers, but you know, local local tools are a great um, a great piece of the puzzle. I just don't think that they are the only uh, piece of the puzzle, and I don't think that um, necessarily, as I said, the market is as big and, and voluminous as as it was made out to be initially. Interesting. Let's go to the group. Dave Maloney, agree or disagree with Mr. Stanzig? What do you think? I, I, I hate to say this, Mark, but I actually, I kind of disagree. And the reason why I'll say is because of this. In my vision, you know, just, you know, I, I guess, you know, vision of low-code, no-code tools, they start out being like prototype tools. And I think too often, one of the big problems in IT is the backlog of stuff to do. And too often, business raises their hand, they ask for something, IT goes off and builds it, takes a long time, as fast as they want to code, and it turns out being maybe not a really good request and something that the business sent off and they weren't really bought into it. And so I see low-code, no-code as playing a critical part where the business has to go through a prototyping exercise with low-code, no-code to validate and verify the requirements so they're further along when they go to IT. To me, Every project is kind of start. The business raises their hand, asks for something, throw it back at them, and say, "If this means something to you, you build it out for a bit. You test it and prototype in your group. You know, in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Then let's talk." Because too often, I think the, the requests come in. There's a backlog that's a mile long, and it takes. It's you know, it's as as good as our tools are, and as fast as they are, we we get there. And I also think a subset of certain tools work well in low code, no code. I, I can give examples. I have a, a colleague of mine who I hired. And he went to his first trade show after COVID and he didn't have any business cards. And they were in a big facility with like 40,000 people. They couldn't get to the internet to get to LinkedIn. So he went back and wrote a really quick low code, no code um, contact card transfer program. And I was like, that's perfect. That's brilliant. You thought of something, you did it, you delivered it without ever involving IT. And it's something that we're all using now on my team. So I, I think there's a, I, the reason I think, I think it's a definition, the market could be broader if it's used not to deliver a finished product but rather to take it part of the way there so that they've better thought about it, they've thought through it, and then IT can pick it up and things are better defined, better validated. So I think it's more of a definition thing, but I can't think of an IT organization that I don't think could benefit from low-code, no-code as a way to you know, kind of give the business what they want and make them verify what they're asking for up front. Interesting. Thank you. That was uh, raising the bar. Jennifer, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both. Go ahead probably agree and disagree with a little of both. I do believe that within your organization, there are people, you know, to the point that was made earlier, not everybody wants to be involved with this to to jump in and, you know, get in the no code, low code kind of environment and, and create solutions. But if we as leadership, and maybe it is the IT leadership in the organization, can at least let people know what our priorities are, what we're working on, what we're looking for solutions, there are probably people in your organization that will step forward and have the opportunity, you know, if given the opportunity, have the skills or the desire or the will to help push through some of those things. So I think there's a big piece of leadership that's saying, here's what we're working on as a team. Here's what our senior developers, our junior developers are focused on. If you have ideas or something to share, we want to hear from you. But then there's also, I think, room for, should be made for, 
you know, what's the crazy idea that you're working on? What's the Mm -hmm. new thing that you think we need that we didn't know we needed? So giving people both the freedom to create, but also the focus to uh, place their talents, I think, is where we can really benefit as leaders and organizations. Sounds like grassroots, right? You have an idea, bring it to the front, but you don't have to do it. Uh, reminds me of conversations I've had on some of my HR focus shows when I was doing a lot of game changer shows for SAP. Not everybody wants to be promoted to a point of leadership, do they? Not everybody wants to run a team. Not everybody wants to have 20 people reporting to them. They want to advance in their career. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to do a good job. They want to be excited to come to work, but they don't all want to be that person whose name is on the door or has the bigger business card, if you will. So yes, not everybody wants to coat. Very interesting. Martin, anything you'd like to say back to your two colleagues before I move on? No, I think that's, that's exactly the, uh, I think that's exactly the framing. I think, as I mentioned, um, the market is there, um, and I, I agree with all the statements that were made. Um, I personally have people in my organization that have shown that it can be used very, very well. But what we're finding is that, and, and not to, talk, to turn this into a generational discussion, but that that sort of older business users are more in this mindset of, hey, that's what I have an IT organization for. They need to build it. Uh, and to Dave's point, you know, we firmly believe that sort of a prototypical stage is the right stage to to weed out good good from bad ideas. Um, but what we've found is that especially sort of the younger generation that is is more in tune with technology that is grew up on an on an iPhone wants to have their own user interface, things that they can do better than what's there. They're the first ones that that sort of lean into the the local noco technology and, and want to build their own applications. Um, so yeah, no, I I I see the the value. Uh, I just don't think it's as easy and as as clear cut clear cut as a black and white discussion. Thank you very much. That's why we like the roundtable. Get we get provocative. Dave Maloney, I picked a statement from your list, and when you responded to Martin, you used it, and that's fine. I'm paying attention. So I I have decided to go two two doors down in your list of topics, and let's do number three. So I'll read it. You say with the maturity of cloud and the advent of AI. Yes, we do want to talk about AI. We're encroaching on architecture that enables us to deliver business users a low-code, no-code development environment that is visual, that is simple, and that guides them. They don't have to think about language, performance, architecture, UI, containers, just what they need, the business rules, the data they need, how they want to interface, and what it needs to do. Well, I think I just read a primer or a primer on how to do this, Dave. Thank you. Dave, unpack this. Take your three minutes, and then we'll go to Jennifer, and then we'll go to Martin. Go ahead. Yeah, in the past 12 months, it's, it's been unbelievable how this has changed. And, um, you know, 12 months ago, I would have stuck to my guns about the thing about, you know, push it back to the business user. It doesn't have to be every user, but every business area should have, a you know, a, a, a leader, a person or that interface with IT and make them kind of do that development just to really prototype, not really build the code. But, you know, ju- just now, like, you know, I'm seeing the AI components make it into our own, our own tools. And now, you know, the code's generated, it can be inspected, tested, looked at, you know, better than it could before. So I, I think we have, you know, obviously, still a, a ways to go, and there's a lot of things happening. But it's been a quantum jump in the past, literally, 12 months, where low-code tools are now using Gen AI to generate the code, check the code, and make sure it's, it's relevant. And it's taking care of things that, that it didn't take take care of before. That will require pro coders to come in and and kind of tune up the code and, and tweak it because the um, the low-code tools were so primitive and really didn't 
didn't take into account a lot of those, you know, higher level requirements around performance and security and things like that. And they're doing a lot better job now. You mean we'll still need humans to do their jobs, Dave? <laughs> For quite some time. Breaking news. Everybody applaud. We all knew that. Why do you think I tweaked the poems that ChatGPT writes for me? Because it didn't quite get it right. Human intervention. Jennifer McClure, take your time. Let's have your agree or disagree, please. Jennifer, I, I think you're... Here you go. You're muted. Go ahead. I I think, you know, the the thought that things have exponentially, you know changed over the last 12 months and certainly over the last three years. I always like to remind leaders, think about where you were. It's it's hard to do. Uh, think about where you were in 2019 versus where you are today and what we've accomplished in terms of technology and its adoption rates and how people are more comfortable with using it. And that was because we were forced to in many ways. And, you know, it was mentioned earlier about generational differences in the workplace. Um, certainly, I think the younger generations are very comfortable with the technologies and and will create things. And, and I agree that we need our coders and others to go in and review them for security, et cetera. But um, there's just so much potential out there that we have to spend some time thinking about whether it's AI or other tools, how are our people using these tools outside of work? that then they might bring into the workplace. So if they're using chatbots or AI or, or tools and not even really realizing that they're doing that in their daily life and ordering food online or booking a ticket to go somewhere or um, going to a movie, et cetera, then they're probably thinking about that when they come to the workplace and wanting to make their work life easier as well. So I think it's, it's helpful for us to be thinking about how our people are navigating the world outside of work and how they're bringing those attitudes into the workplace. Interesting, bringing attitudes into the workplace. And that's been going on for a while since they said to people, you have more functionality on your device you're holding in your hand that you're taking at home and in your car and everywhere. And people went to work and said, but it's not as easy to use the stuff you're giving me at work. I want to bring my own devices and then bring your own device to work. Yes, we know, like bring your own something somewhere. Martin, let's get you to chime in on what Dave said and or what Jennifer added, please. Yeah, no, I, I think I firmly believe that, especially the generative AI uh, component that, that we're seeing these days, sort of amplified, dramatically amplified the low-code, no-code discussion um, that we're having uh, to the point where we're seeing developer efficiency being increased by, as I said, space X factors, we, you know, 20%, 30%. And we see that in our own teams. You know? So. Um, it goes to the point where I always describe it as an addiction. Uh, they don't know when you give them the tools, these generative AI tools to supplement their work. Um, they don't they don't necessarily perceive it as a game changer. But then two or three months later, try to take them away again. At that point in time, you will get the the wave going through the organization. I can't do my job without that anymore. So that's the interesting part that shows you sort of how how integral that that augmented development, as I want to call it, is today, um, that has has sort of moved into even the, the pro-code generation. But coming back to the, the low-code, no-code tools, I think that's sort of where, um, where we're seeing a lot of, of drive to fixing business problems that, that were sort of, let's call them level two business problems. They've never gotten the attention, you know, these days, um, because IT has sort of only the priority one items, but business can now go into those priority two items themselves and, and deal with them uh, because they have the tools at their disposal. They got the green light from IT that they're allowed to do that. 
Um, we might talk later about, you know, what does it mean for support and, and you know, governance, et cetera, et cetera. But in general, I think it's, a, it's the right move in the right direction. Absolutely. Interesting. Dave Maloney, this was your topic. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I mean, b- both are pretty good there. And I thought was interesting with what Mark, with, uh, I'm sorry, what Jennifer was saying, was that the things you use at home, and we, we saw that. I think a lot of times you, you leave work, you take your iPhone or your, your Droid or whatnot, and you search for movies or dinner reservations, whatever the case might be. And, um, and you'd be able to do this great thing where you could find any information at your fingertips. And then you'd go into work and it'd be like taking a time machine, you know, to, to Marty McFly's comment back a decade ago where you're stuck behind, you know, query tools and, and, a, and a cryptic UI and you didn't have that consumer experience that you got from home. And so I agree. I think a lot of the things we experience outside the workplace definitely drive the IT departments and, and our business software to, to, to do better and to make more of a consumer experience for business users. Thank you very much. Good topic. Jennifer, I've decided to pick statement number three from your list. This is interesting. And I'll tell you where I'd like you to go with this. You say the integration of cloud platforms with business applications will break down the silos between IT and the business departments, leading to a more collaborative and efficient approach to technology development and delivery. Let's talk about those silos. Let's talk about that collaboration. Used to be Ivy Tower, right? IT was here, business users were here, right? You can't have it now, you can't have it today. You want it when you want it, how you want it, what? This is what we did, deal with it. How is that changing? Jennifer, talk to us, it's an interesting statement. Sure, I think it's, you know, you said, just think back five, 10 years ago, as I said, you had to go into the office to use the technology, or you had to have a certain device to be able to do things where I can think back in my HR career at one point, uh, the CIO and the CFO came into my office one day and sat down and told me they wanted me to fire our best salesperson um, with our top accounts. And I looked around and I said, well, first of all, where's the sales VP? Why are we talking about this person without him? And second of all, why? And they said, because he's hacked into our system using a VPN. <gasps> and it turns out he was sitting in waiting rooms with his other you know, competitors at, at Walmart, at Target, at others. He's in airports. He's not able to work because all of our systems were locked down and he had to be in the office to be able to communicate. So people being people, he found a way to get into the system so he could work like our competitors were doing. So that's an example. Again, that was more than 10 years ago. But very shortly thereafter, my CEO came in. He'd been to play golf with a bunch of young presidents uh, for the young presidents' organizations. He comes into the organization and throws a BlackBerry on my desk and says, look at this thing. It's so cool. I want everyone in the executive team to have one. And he was able to tell the CIO, we're doing this. So it takes, I think, sometimes people saying, first of all, the right people have to say, we are doing this, and that's IT. IT really needs to lead the strategy, the governance, the oversight, but really opening it up to people and saying, what do you need? What tools do you need to do to your work? Um, How can we support you? What are you not able to do today that you need to do? It really has broken down those silos because no longer do you have to have a place in the office to use the technology or a certain device. It is everywhere, it's ubiquitous. And so how can we now enable people to use the tools? Interesting. Let's go around the table. Martin, you're sitting next to Jennifer around this round. So go ahead. What do you think? Agree or disagree? I totally agree. Um, I think to build on on that, though, is what we're finding that, and I might age myself, 
um, we're finding that the first generation of IT projects, you know, the first time people rolled out big business systems was really driven by IT. Uh, so, but what we're finding nowadays is that the same guys that participated in round one of these big rollouts are now business users. Uh, those business users have learned, the business users have have consumed and, and understood what they liked and what they didn't like about the first time the rollout comes. And, and the, the shift that we're seeing is that the budgets, even though they are you know, business applications that are um, procured, rolled out, implemented, um, are not hanging with IT anymore. IT is now the implementing authority, uh, the, the entity that does the work and, and that also owns the people to support it. But business have, has largely maintained the ownership of the overall project. So it's not anymore that the CIO is necessarily the, the, the big stakeholder. The CIO is still a big part of it, don't get me wrong, and, and there will always be. But in a lot of organizations, what we have found is that, just to Jennifer's point, the CEO, now that he knows what IT can do, and, and IT has become such an integral part of the business model, it's not anymore sort of you have a business and you're using IT to sort of you know, um, do your accounting. It's like without IT in the mix today, you can barely run your business. So and I think that has changed sort of that that paradigm of IT versus versus the business. Today, you know, IT is with the business. IT is a business enabler. IT is really the foundation for the business. So it's an interesting point that we've seen as well to say, okay, business is actually driving more and more of this discussion. And IT is, is certainly the enabler and uh, the, the cybersecurity team and, you know, making sure is that um, all the systems are interacting with each other, but it's not anymore the, that they are the ones that, that provide the creativity as we've seen it 20 years ago. Interesting. Dave Maloney, join us, please. Yeah, no, I think all that sounds very good. I mean, you know, it is more, I think, where IT has some baseline things they're bringing around cost of ownership, security, you know, keeping the lights on and things like that, but really more of the um, the requirements and the priorities come from the business. And um, yeah, and I think it's resulted in better um, better overall outcomes. And, um, you know, we're, we're sure seeing that too. And like I said, my focus helping people get more out of their investment, not helping decide which investment to make, but rather help reduce the cost of ownership. So yeah, I think you're spot on, Martin and Jennifer. Thank you very much, Dave. I noticed that you switched to your audio on your PC. It's a little garbled, but we can hear you. But now we can see you on individual screenshot for the first time, in case anybody was wondering. So dealing with this wonderful uh, voice-activated Zoom cameras, there we go. So thank you all. Jennifer, anything you want to say back to your two colleagues on the panel? It was an interesting round. What do you think? I love to hear that IT is uh, seeing it that way as well, that it's about listening to the needs of the business and providing um lanes for them to be able to get what they need in order to accomplish the objectives. Let me give you all a little sidebar story here. Years ago, I was hired by a correspondent bank in New York. They had an office on Long Island and they had a main office in Manhattan. And we did all of the check processing, the vault, all the back end office processing for the savings banks of New York State. So you didn't come to the window and say, I need a money order or how's my checking account? This was back office banking. And I was hired because I spoke two languages. I spoke computer and I spoke English. And just what you were saying, Jennifer and Martin and Dave, they said to me, you're going to go into the office in Manhattan. You're going to sit with Bob in check processing and you're going to sit with Mary in the vault section and you're going to sit with this one in whatever it was. And you're going to find out what do they need from 
IT, but it wasn't called IT. It was IMS, Information Management Systems, in the old days. They said, you're going to come back to the Long Island office. You're going to sit with the programmers. What a thought, Jennifer. And you're going to tell the programmers, this is what Bob in accounting needs, and this is what Mary in vault processing needs. And you're going to be the translator from the business to the what was IT. So my job role was called systems liaison. And they created it just for me based on when I walked in and they wanted me to be an assembly program. And I said, I don't do assembly language. And they said, oh, well, we'll just make up a new job for you. You start on Monday. And that was it. So they created this role. But this was, it was prescient, wasn't it? To, to be able to see, we're talking years ago, that business and IT needed to cooperate and collaborate and understand each other. So just want to throw that in. Thank you very much. So let's go to another statement from Martin. This is interesting. Martin, companies want to know what's going on. They need an audit trail. They got to write stuff called documentation. So that's what this is about. Martin says, project documentation will become largely automated. <sighs> I got a sigh of relief. In the next five years, generative AI can do the work of creative creating work specification and project documentation. Progress in that will reduce project efforts by significant amounts. You want to give us a percent? Martin, unpack, please. Go ahead. The percent is something that we're still working on because we're still sort of validating that it is as good as it seems. Um, but customers already coming to me today and saying, hey, generative AI can create all these documents, can you know look at what code you have written, um, why is it not doing more in regards to project documentation? We have the first customer that's actually going live with that sort of functionality. So I know it's real. It's not something that we've just dreaming up. Um, so um, it also plays into something that, you know, Bonnie, if you have been a developer, no developer likes documentation. So it's it's, it's sort of a win-win for all of us. Um, if if project documentations or even other documentations can be done automatically, that's fantastic. So what we have seen is that, scenarios of taking um, transcripts you know, from meetings um, that have been recorded and feeding it to a generative AI machine, uh, machine learning model and combining that with existing documentation that has done before, you know, we can do mockups of documentation based on the transcript. So, so we're seeing a lot of a lot of activity in that in everything that has to do with documentation, document generation, um, to the point where we are, where we believe that um, it will have a dramatic imp impact on our whole our whole industry, not just you know us as a company. Um, to the point where you know it, it's getting interesting because for years we have we've sort of um, you know we needed to create documentation as part of a project, and sometimes that became the the long pole in the tent that drove your overall project duration. So you had to have a six month project duration because one month at the end was just project documentation. So if we can dramatically shorten that timeline we can you know, reduce the time to what we call business benefit realization to the time we're going live, but also we're reducing the, the effort uh, in the project without the cost to implement or to roll out a software. So all of that is, is, is massive. Yeah? It's a massive game changer that we're seeing in the industry. And, and the good news is, Bonnie, you and I talked about it two, three years ago when we talked about AI. We are there. Uh, it's not, this is not fiction anymore. We're right there. I think uh, the challenge we have is 
there's so much possibility that we don't even know what's possible and how we should leverage this in the business world. And that's really the biggest challenge right now. Yeah? So where is it applicable and where where is it overhyped? And I think that sort of to, to figuring that one out is going to take us the next two or three years. That's my my prediction. Thank you. I'll take yours instead of percents any day. Thank you, Martin. Let's go around the table. Uh, who we got here? Dave, you're next to Martin. So Dave, unmute, and we're going to take you back. I'll keep you on gallery view because the, the speaker was garbled. So talk to me. That's fine. Yeah, so I, I wrote at that column, Martin. The first thing I would say is, man, let's go to all the productive systems today and have Gen, I, Gen AI help build the documentation. Because a lot of the documentation out there built by people who might be nearing retirement or leaving the company is is not very good on, on a lot of occasions. And I, I mean, that'd be a great proving ground to get the um, the language models built better and whatnot. And then for new projects going forward, of course, it could be a great starting point and help some of the people who are very technical and maybe not the best writers, you know, do, do a better job and have less of their time spent doing documentation because it's always an afterthought. I've never really seen great documentation, especially when a developer moves on and you inherit a system and you're trying to figure out what was going on and whatnot. So um, that, that's a huge area of benefit that I think, um, you know, will probably provide as much benefit as the old, overall low code, no code environment as getting really good documentation so teams can pick things up and take it forward. So yeah, I'm excited for that, uh, that um, evolution. Dave, I was asked by a, a listener viewer to ask you to go easy on the retirement on people retiring and leaving <laughs> bad documentation comment. I won't tell you who on this group who is not on camera asked me to tell you that, but you can figure out. Yeah, she will stay. She will stay anonymous for this group. But yes, uh, some people who may or may not ever think about retiring could have done really great documentation that still might have some value. So let's let's be careful where we tread there. I'm going to go to Jennifer McClure comments on what Martin said and what Dave offered. Go ahead. Uh, nothing really to add other than I think the opportunity that the generative AI with this documentation in this example, we as leaders really need to be emphasizing to our people what the opportunity that creates. Yay, it took that, you know, burden or that, you know, busy work off of us that nobody likes to do. But now we really need you to be thinking creatively. We need you to be thinking about what we should be doing next. We need you to be interpreting the data. So helping people to see that there are opportunities created by the work that AI is taking away from us. Again, in this case, we're using the example of something that maybe is uh, people would see as a good thing. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there that are seeing AI as a real threat to their jobs and to their environment. And what it is doing, at least in my world and what I see with both my clients as well, um, there's so much opportunity that it creates to remove some of this work that in reality anybody could do, anybody yeah. that's trained or skilled, um, to focusing on what only you can do as a human, what you can bring to the table. And so it really opens up opportunity and we have to help some people see that. Boring, repetitive, busy work. Do we all want to be Charlie Chaplin on the assembly line? Some people may find it very comforting to just keep pushing the dot, dots and those widgets, and other people want to do something else. So there is a human element to it that I don't think people are covering enough right now, but that's just me talking. Martin, anything you want to say back to your colleagues before I pick up a statement from Dave? No, just to build on what Jennifer's saying, and I think that's kind of what we've seen with everything that came out in the last few years on the AI side. Initially, it's always the discussion of, is my job gone? You know, is it is it sort of eliminating everything I do? And I think the reality is, no, the, the job is not gone because um, the high quality delivery of 
of people that are creative, know what they're doing, have years of experience, will I, I believe will never go away because that's the that's the input vector that actually you need to put into AI in order to get better and better over time. And and I'm I for one, you know, I'm not worried about my job nor of the job of of so many of my colleagues. I, I think the repetitive side is going away and. If it's applied in an what I call the augmented fashion, so that it's it's supporting people to do their job. Yeah, you know, I always I always bring the reference of I don't have to go to Google.com anymore and try to figure out you know an algorithm that I've done sixteen times, but I've yet again forgotten. Um, so there's AI there that just helps me, but AI also you know in more than one case provides just code that is either bad or incorrect. Yeah. And if I don't have that knowledge, if I'm not the senior guy that has done this over years, and I just want to apply what AI thinks is the right answer, I might A, create some really bad environments, um, but B, also it's it's not getting me the, the, the intended outcome that is the efficiency gain. Right? It's actually doing the reverse. It's sort of now making me uh, chase my tail on, hey, AI told me this, but it's not correct. So what's really the correct answer? So. Um, I firmly believe that for what I would call sort of senior talent, AI can be really a game changer. What I also believe is that for junior talent, I don't want to say let's 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 turn AI off, but uh, all I'm saying is I think we need to get better at um, taking taking young talent and getting them better and better much much quicker. So shorten the the duration and not just have a um, and and maybe Jennifer, that's that's one for you, and not just have an um, a tenure based on on time, but you know, or, or recognition based on time, but recognition really based on on work product and qualification that we've seen in some companies where you know you can only get promoted because you've been there for four years, whether or not you're good, bad, or or indifferent doesn't really matter. Um, and I firmly believe in the in the recognition based on on really outcome. You know? So let's let's reward people that want to sort of get to the next level of their of their career very, very quickly and not just because they have, you know, been around for the longest. So people forget that often it's the bean counters who eliminate jobs way before AI reared its head in the workplace, <laughs> right? It's well, we need to downsize. Throw the cards up on the stairs. Let's see who sticks and who comes down to the spaghetti against the wall. Nothing gets good al dente spaghetti but anyway uh this has been going on for a long time so they've just got somebody else to blame i'm sorry uh we have time for just one more topic and i just want to bring up one from dave maloney dave i we've covered this a little bit but i want you to just hone it a little bit for us you say having business users first suss out what they need along with the complexity of their requests will reduce unrealistic asks they make of IT. It will build business user appreciation of reliable data and sound business rules, a bigger constraint to successful IT systems than the technology. Dave, we've got oh, about six minutes total, so you can take three and then we'll do a quick comment around the table. Go ahead, Dave. Great. I'll take less than that. I mean, but I think we've all seen this in our, in our career, working with business users. I used to get requirements like, I need all the data, and I need to ask a question. And I need to come back in a split second, you know. And I was like, you know, back in the day, hey, that's you know several megabytes or or petabytes or terabytes or zettabytes, you know. And of course, we get more and more data available all the time. But there's just been some unreal unrealistic expectations. And I think often, if you can put it back to the user and they can see what the implications of their request are, they can hone it and make it better 
and really get what they need without trying to get all things for, for all, all possible scenarios, but focus on the 80-20 rule. You know, if we do this, I can mm-hmm. get the top customers and then search in there. That's a good thing. I don't need to see actually everything. So I think low-code, no-code helps out a lot with that, where it gives the users the ability to see the impact of what they're asking for so they can refine it further based on their 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 priorities and not just push it off to IT and say, give me what I need. And we have to be kind of soothsayers to figure out what they really want for the answer. Because too often, it's not the first question they ask, it's the second or third question. Once they get the answer to the first, it's where they're really kind of getting, getting to what they need. And if we can kind of hone it down with that first question to get them further along the line, it's easier for us to address the second and third more tertiary requirements than a, that, that initial ask. Well put. Quickly around the table, Jennifer comments on what Dave shared. I think it's really important, again, as leadership, that we help people to see what good looks like and what not good looks like. If we're asking them to do this type of, you know, tell us what they need and also really scope it out. So I think back to when social media became kind of on the scene and uh, organizations were trying to figure out, you know, we don't want our employees to use social media because they'll say bad things about us. Well, we had to show people what good tweets look like and what bad tweets look like, you know? So here, talking about what you're doing and why it's great to work at our company and what you enjoy about working here, great. Here, talking about your coworker on social media, not great. So similar for projects like this, there is a lot of talent, a lot of ideas. People know what they want, but they may not know how to put it into the guardrails that you need in order to make it seen. So helping people to see here's what good looks like and here's Mm -hmm. what is not helpful or what is too much. um, I think that will really help us to get from them what we need. Wise and excellent insights. Thank you, Jennifer. Martin, comments? Yeah, I think the more we can get the business users involved in the upfront definition of what they want, the better is the summary. Uh, And I, I firmly believe that that is what gets you to the to the ultimate goal, which is, you know, improved business outcome. Um, so whether or not, you know, that is the business user taking ownership, as as Dave said, and I fully subscribe to it, um, but that is the ultimate goal. So let's focus on that and whatever, however path we can get there, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pose a question to the three of you and I just need a one or two word answer. We've got about two and a half minutes left. So our topic today, and thank you to Hannah Hale for this arising, was from users to creators, the employee-led tech transformation. Now, transformation implies to me that something is moving in another direction. It's changing. It is evolving. We're, we're rising evolution, revolution. We did that last week on Future Proofing. But the question is, is transformation the right word? Is it the employee-led tech trend? Is it a groundswell? Is it a revolution? Is it a trickle? Where an employee-led implies that they are employees are taking charge of this movement, this trend, so this flow. So quickly, Martin, what would you say? Is it an employee-led tech transformation, transition? What would you call it, briefly? Transformation, in my opinion, is overdone. I would call it employment empowerment. Um, I got so excited. I'm sorry. Good one. Jennifer, any comments? Any word you want to add? Dave, I'll go to you last. Jennifer? I'd say it's a revolution because it is kind of a, you know, as similar as the steam engine was, you know, the world is changed. It will look different next year and five years than it did dramatically. So employee led, um, I think it's more employees are certainly a big driver of it, but it's environment led. The world is changing so fast. It's global. 
even if you're a small town Iowa manufacturer, you have global customers or you get parts through the global supply chain. So the fact that we're all in this together and things are changing and we need to communicate across people, cultures, technologies, uh, I think it's a revolution. Thank you. Dave, you get one word. That's it because we're out of time. I'll just say one, one, one chat. And I would say skate to the puck. That's what we're doing here. We're looking ahead and trying to go where the future's bringing us, whether it's an evolution, a paradigm shift, a transformation. Thank you. Martin Stanzig, Dave Maloney, Jennifer McClure. It has been a pleasure and a privilege speaking with the three of you, getting your insights, pulling all this stuff out of your brains and your hearts. There's a lot of heart that goes into a conversation like this. Again, thank you to Hannah Hale and Sherry Meyer. Thank you to Andrew Tonin at Voice America Business Channel for hosting us, well, for engineering us. I'm hosting us, and I will tell you that people say the future is already here, and I say no, no, no. That was yesterday's future. That was 30 seconds ago. The future didn't happen yet. And I know the three of you and all of us are doing our best to make it a better one. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thanks again for tuning in to Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise with Rising, a Wipro company. Rising enables you to create your business journey your way with SAP technology. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag R-I-Z-I-N-G. That's rising with a Z. Please join us again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively evolving week.